There's a scene in The Pilgrim's Progress where Christian and Hopeful are snatched up by the giant despair as they are sleeping. And they wake up in his stinking dungeon inside Doubting Castle. And giant despair beats them and tortures them. But they soon come to their senses and realize that they have a way to escape the dungeon. Listen to John Bunyan's description of their escape. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out in passionate speech. What a fool, said he, am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty? I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then Hopeful said, That's good news, good brother. Pluck it out of your bosom and try. Then Christian pulled it out of his bosom and began to try at the dungeon door. The bolt of the door as he turned the key gave way and the door flew open with ease and both Christian and Hopeful came out of the dungeon. Then Christian went to the outward door that led into the castle yard and with his key opened that door also. After this, he went to the iron gate, for that too had to be opened. That lock went damnably hard, yet the key did open it. They thrust open the gate to make their escape with speed, but that gate made such a creaking noise as it opened that it waked giant despair, who hastily rose to pursue his prisoners felt his limbs to fail as his fits took him again, and thus could by no means go after them. Then they went on and came to the king's highway, and so were safe because they were out of the jurisdiction of the giant. That's a picture of the Christian life, of what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are no longer in the jurisdiction of sin and death. We are free. We're on the king's highway. And so Easter is just a reminder that the gospel comes with a dungeon key. That's what your heart needs to hear on Easter. The gospel comes with a key that unlocks the door of sin and death and sets prisoners free. The gospel comes with a dungeon key to help you get out of whatever darkness or whatever despair you may be in today. If you're afraid, maybe scared to death of what the future might bring, or if you feel weighed down by shame, weighed down by guilt, maybe you're ashamed of something that you have done. Maybe there's something in your past that you just can't seem to shake. The gospel comes with a key to help you leave that stinking dungeon, leave that darkness, leave that fear Leave that shame behind. Christian, you're no longer in the jurisdiction of sin and shame and condemnation and fear. 
And the keys to get you out of those chains of shame, fear, worry, lust, pride, condemnation, you fill in the blank. The keys to get you out of those chains are none other than the promises of God which are found in the Bible. God's promises are keys that we can use to unlock the creaking doors of the stinking dungeons and prisons that we find ourselves in. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But first, we want to look at an imprisoned man and what he tells us about Jesus. And so turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. It's the very last book in the Bible. It lives in the last house on the block. And so go to the far right of your Bibles, to the end of the street, if you will, and you'll find the book of Revelation. Let me set the context. The Apostle John has been imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He's suffering imprisonment and isolation because he is a Christian and because he follows Jesus. Maybe he's even locked in a dungeon, perhaps. And Jesus appears to him and tells him to write down what he says. And so John writes this book, the book of Revelation, to seven churches and he tells them, what Jesus says. He challenges them. He encourages them to remain steadfast in spite of the persecution that they are facing because they are Christians. What these churches needed to hear is what disciples always need to hear. They need to hear about Jesus over and over and over again. And so do we. Who he is what he is like, and so they and we need to be stabilized by the truth of who God is, that he is all-powerful, that he is sovereign, that he is in control of everything in the universe, and that nothing can stop him. And that's what John says when he emails these seven churches. So we pick up in verse 4 of Revelation Chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. John begins by praying a blessing on these churches that they would experience the Trinitarian God. They would experience God the Father. Notice he mentions God and Jesus and the Spirit, that they would experience God's grace and God's peace. And that's exactly what these suffering Christians needed. But please understand, this is what Christians always need. We always need grace, even on our best days. We always need peace, and Jesus is always ready to give it. What gives you grace and peace, no matter if you're quarantined on an island like John or quarantined in your home, what gives you grace and peace is knowing God, knowing Jesus. Knowing what Jesus is like. 
And that's what John will do here. He's going to pass on some info about Jesus to these suffering Christians. But notice first how John describes Jesus here. He says, from him who is and who was and who is to come. John describes Jesus differently than we might. He doesn't start in the past and move forward by saying he was and is and is to come. John starts instead by saying who Jesus is. He's the God of today. He's the God of right now. He's reigning right now. He's in control of everything right now. And he is aware of everything that you are going through. He is God for your now, for your struggles. He is God for your stress, for your concerns, for your worry, for your sins, for whatever is keeping you up at night. Jesus is God for your right now, present day, real time struggles right now. He is all that God is for all of your troubles and all of your concerns. All that God is for all of your mess and all of your drama. That ought to give you some hope. It might even cause you to sleep a little better at night. The God of your now cares about you and is working for you on your behalf even while you sleep. Jesus is a God for everything that you go through. John then tells us that Jesus is him who was. In other words, he's eternal. He goes all the way back into eternity past. He has always been. He had no beginning. And he's also the God that was there in the past for God's people in the scriptures. The God who helped Abraham. That God is helping you right now, Christian. The God who watched over Rahab. That God is watching over you. The God who gave wisdom to Solomon, he's the one who gives wisdom to you. The God who provided for Ruth, he provides for you right now. He's the same God who is available for you right now. All that you read about in the Bible that God does for his people, that same God is available for you. Just read his resume. In the Bible, it's pretty impressive. He's faithful over and over and over again. Jesus just kind of stubbornly says to us, I'm going to bless y'all. I'm going to bless you, whether you like it or not. I'm going to bless y'all no matter what, and I will never, ever let you go. Now, I know, I know, you already believe this, don't you? But do you believe this? Do you really feel it in your gut? You should, and you can. It is Easter after all, right? If you're going to believe God, Easter is the day to believe God, right? I mean, if you're going to take God at his word and believe any of his promises, Easter of all days would be the day to believe what God says. Why? Because today we reaffirm our belief in the resurrection. We reaffirm our belief that Jesus defeated death, that he came back from the dead, and that he walked out of that tomb. 
And if Jesus defeated death and he came back from the dead and he walked out of that tomb, I think you're in good hands. Call me crazy. Hey, crazy. But I think you're in good hands. And that means that you can trust your future with God, even your death. Because he is also, John says, the God who is to come. He's coming again. He will invade life as we know it and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And you get to be a part of that, Christian. Jesus' resurrection and soon return mean that we are going to be raised from the dead and our bodies will be made new. As Ray Ortland said, the resurrection of Christ was God's announcement of coming attractions. I mean, think about the coming attractions. New bodies, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more mayonnaise. Thank you, Craig. There's two of us who are rejoicing in that. No more sin. Think about it. That is going to be awesome. Wait until y'all get a load of the new me. I'm going to be awesome. And so will you. And we'll never get sick again. And we'll never sin again. Wow. I hope you haven't been a Christian for so long that that no longer amazes you. I hope you haven't been a Christian for so long. Like, yeah, I grew up in the church. I know all about resurrected bodies and Jesus making the earth new. I hope you haven't been a Christian so long that that ceases to amaze you. I hope you hear it again this morning and you just stand with your mouth open like, oh, that's amazing. I can't wait to see what the new earth is like. I can't wait to wake up one day and not be flooded with 10,000 impure evil thoughts. That's going to be awesome. No more sin. I can't wait. And so when you pile up all of this that John tells us about Jesus onto one plate, kind of like you're at, a, you're at a buffet, you pile it all up and what you get is one big heaping pile of hope. John's just piling more hope onto our plates and he's reminding us that there's never a time in your life when Jesus is not there. He is always with you. He is, John says. He never has a flat tire and misses something. He is. He's always present in every single unique thing that you go through, even what you're going through today. He is. So just pinch yourself today and tell yourself, he is. Go ahead, pinch yourself right now and say, he is. Because those two words are all that your little heart need this morning. He is. Go ahead and put those two words in your front pocket. Put them on a post-it note on your fridge. Make a lock screen on your phone that just says, he is. Why? Because you're going to need those words someday. You're going to need those two words. He is. But John also tells us that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us too. There's more help, even more help. Thank you, John. More help from the Holy Spirit. We see that with this phrase in verse 4. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. 
Well, what in the world does that mean? What are the seven spirits that are before God's throne? Remember, the book of Revelation is what is called apocalyptic literature. It uses signs and symbols to convey truth. So John is not telling us here that there are seven spirits before the throne of God. John is not telling us that there are seven holy spirits. That would be weird. Rather, seven is a symbolic number in the Bible. It is used often to convey the idea of completeness or fullness. So here's what John is saying to us. He's saying that we have the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. Jesus sends all that God is in the person of his spirit to all of his suffering people and all that they are going through. So the seven spirits here are symbolic for the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's power, all of God's power to help us. That's what John is telling us. All of the Holy Spirit for all of your weakness. All of the Holy Spirit for all of your desperation. All of the Holy Spirit for all of your problems. All of the Holy Spirit for all of your messy bickering, everybody is on edge in my house, my house is too loud, when is this quarantine going to end life as you know it? All of God's promises for all of your problems. All the bickering, all the mess, all the drama, all of the Holy Spirit. See, John is praying for grace from the Holy Spirit to invade their lives, but he's also praying here for grace to come from Jesus himself. And what he says next about Jesus is pretty remarkable. Get a load of this. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Jesus is the faithful witness, John says, meaning he suffered and he never sinned. He stood firm. He fully obeyed God's law on our behalf. And John says he's also the firstborn of the dead, which means that he came back from the dead. And it means that the rest of his family, us, we will follow him in resurrection. It means that we will come back from the dead because Jesus, our older brother, the firstborn of the dead, he came back from the dead. And John also tells us he's the one who rules over the kings of the earth. I mean, think about that. This is your God, Christian. This is who you worship. Jesus' Twitter bio reads, sinless, death-defeater, ruler. So when people ask you who your God is, Christian, when people ask you how you are able to endure suffering and hardship, tell them, because my God never sinned. He was faithful. Oh, and he came back from the dead, which means I will too. Oh, And he also rules over every king on the earth. That's how I make it through every suffering and every hardship. That guy is the one who gives me grace. That's why I don't lose my mind when I suffer. Because that guy on the throne is the one who helps me. He defeated death. So surely he can handle all my problems. And because Jesus came back from the dead, that means that the gospel comes with a dungeon key. 
Allow me a little leeway with the imagery here, if you would. Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, is going to show up at your grave one day and take a key and unlock the casket. He'll unlock the stinking dungeon of death that your body is trapped in, and he will take you by the hand, and he will say, it's time to get up. Jesus is going to walk into cemeteries on that final day, whistling with a key ring swinging around his index finger and a shovel in his other hand, and he's going to make a big mess. He's going to start digging and start scooping up dirt and just throwing dirt everywhere, lots and lots of dirt piles everywhere, with a bunch of empty caskets thrown about the cemeteries. Jesus is going to totally ruin, totally make a mess in cemeteries on that day. Jesus is going to put cemeteries out of business on that day. Cemeteries are hot right now. It's good business. Because sin says, killing is my business, and business is good. But on that day, Jesus is going to put cemeteries out of business. So picture it with me. Jesus in a cemetery with a shovel in his hand. That should give you hope, Christian. And it seems like such a weird combination, doesn't it? Jesus and cemeteries. Sadly, we probably don't think of Jesus this way. We tend to picture Jesus in a pleasant field and like the wind is blowing and his perfectly feathered 80s mullet is just blowing in the wind, right? Or we picture him on a mountaintop overlooking the ocean in deep thought. Or we picture Jesus smiling with little children sitting on his lap. But we should picture Jesus standing in a cemetery with a shovel in his hand and his overalls are covered in dirt because that's the next item on his agenda, the next item on his to-do list. He's coming back to do business with death in a cemetery. So Jesus, with shovel in hand and cemeteries, go hand in hand. When Jesus shows up at a cemetery, hope shows up. And so hope belongs in cemeteries. Hope, not zombies, belongs in cemeteries. In fact, did you know that our English word cemetery is from the Greek word koimeterion, which means cemetery or sleeping place, koimeo, which means to sleep. So a cemetery is just a sleeping place. To call the place where we bury our dead a cemetery or a sleeping place is really to confess our belief in the resurrection. Here's what we're saying when we call these places cemeteries or sleeping places. We are saying when Christ returns, this place will be like a really big bed where the sleeping will wake up, where the sleeping will rise. Some to eternal life and others to eternal death. So really, your casket is just a twin-sized bed that you're going to be sleeping in until Jesus returns. It's just a twin-sized bed. That's all it is. Or if you die another way, maybe you get blown up uh, in a plane crash, maybe a shark eats you, maybe you're cremated, Jesus will bring your body and your spirit together one day. But most of us, We'll spend our time in a casket, in a twin-sized bed, just 
sleeping, if you will, and waiting for Jesus to return. Our spirits will go be with him, but our bodies will await resurrection and the joining together again of our spirits and our bodies, reunited in resurrection. So when Jesus returns, he's going to hightail it over to wherever you are buried with shovel and keys in hand, and he'll grab you by the hand and say, it's time to wake up, son. It's time to get up, sweetie. It's time to party. And we will party. We'll have a big party, a big celebration right there in a cemetery because Jesus defeated death and delivered us from the realm of the dead. You see, right now, throwing a cemetery, uh, throwing a party in a cemetery is kind of weird, huh? Kind of creepy. Right now, if you told your friends that you were throwing a party in a cemetery when this quarantine is over, they will think that you lost your mind during said quarantine. But on that day, the final day, there's going to be no better place to throw a party than in a cemetery. And it won't be creepy. No zombies. Just God's people partying in their new bodies and celebrating the fact that Jesus defeated death. And so understand this. Jesus is comfortable in cemeteries. Jesus is comfortable being around dead people. Jesus loves to lift up old creaky caskets and push away the cobwebs and spiders and raise people to eternal life. And so when Jesus shows up in a cemetery, hope comes alive. When Jesus shows up in a cemetery, you know a party is about to go down. When Jesus shows up on that day, we're going to laugh and dance and party surrounded by piles of dirts, dirt and empty caskets. Did I just say dirts? I did. Easter means that that final day and every day in eternity will be like the joy of Christmas morning. You know how kids are, they go to bed, they're just so excited, they can't wait. And the joy, when they wake up, when their eyes open on Christmas morning, the joy is so real. And that's what it's going to be like on that final day when Jesus comes and raises us from the dead. We're going to wake up and it's going to be like the joy of Christmas morning. It's going to be like the joy of your birthday, the joy of your wedding day, the joy of your honeymoon, all of that, but every single day for eternity. So all the joy of Christmas morning, your birthday, your wedding day, your honeymoon, all of that joy will be every single day, 24-7, on into eternity. And so we can anticipate that day now like a child, like my children who went to bed last night excited because the Easter bunny was coming to our house. And they went to bed excited, and they woke up excited. And that's the hope of the Christian life, that we have this hope and this joy that Jesus is coming back, and it'll be the joy of Easter morning, Christmas morning. And get this, we're going to mock death on that day as well. We're going to mock death. We're going to say, I told you so, right to death's face. Here's what Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, said will happen to death on that day. He said we would mock, spit on death 
on that day. He said, so weak has death become that even women who used to be taken in by it mock at it now as a dead thing robbed of all its strength. Death has become like a tyrant who has been completely conquered by the legitimate monarch. Bound hand and foot, the passers-by sneer at him, hitting him and abusing him, no longer afraid of his cruelty and rage because of the king who has conquered him. So has death been conquered and branded for what it is by the Savior on the cross. It is bound hand and foot. All who are in Christ trample it as they pass by. And as witnesses to him deride it, scoffing and saying, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? That's what we're going to do to death one day. The thing that has taken away your loved ones and put them in a casket, the thing that has taken away maybe even your beloved pets, death, that thing will be paraded before us one day and we'll kick at it and spit on it and hit it and abuse it and slap it and sneer at it and make fun of it and we will grab it by the hair and yank its head back and say right to its faith, Face, where is your victory now? Where is your sting, death? Huh? What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? Look at me. I'm alive. Alive. Hashtag how you like them apples. Oh, what a glorious day it's going to be. We'll grab death by the neck and it will bow down before us because of Jesus. I mean, who knew the biggest party is going to be in a cemetery one day? A party that's like Christmas morning, Christmas morning joy for all eternity. But there's even more John wants to tell us about Jesus. Look in the middle of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Notice that John tells us here that Jesus loves us present tense. He freed us from our sins by his blood, John says. He made us a kingdom of priests, past tense. He took the key, freed us from the stinking dungeon of our sins. But guess what? He loves us in the present tense. That's such good news for people like us who've been quarantined and cooped up with family members and pets and who may feel like they're going crazy and may even begin doubting their own salvation. He loves us Present tense, smack dab in the middle of our sin. Smack dab in the middle of this quarantine. He loves people like us. But he's coming again in the clouds, John says, and everyone will see him. So if you don't believe in Jesus today, you will when he comes again. Because seeing will be believing on that day. Not seeing in a salvific sense. But you will believe because you will see him. You will not be able to deny his presence 
you'll see him coming in the clouds. But it'll be too late. All who mocked him, John says, will wail and mourn and cry and weep because it will be too late. So don't be a person who wails and weeps on that day because it will be too late. Turn to him now. Repent of your sins. I mean, just change your mind. Turn from living for you and turn to Jesus and trust him. Because apart from Jesus, you are a slave to sin. You are locked in a stinking dungeon. There's no way you can get out. And unless you turn to Jesus in faith and repent, you'll stay in that stinking dungeon until Jesus returns again. And when he returns, he'll use his master key to unlock the stinking dungeon that you are in, and he'll take you handcuffed in your orange jumpsuit to see the judge, and you'll give an account of your life before God, and you will hear the verdict, guilty. And the gavel will slam down, and you will be ushered into everlasting darkness and punishment in hell. Why? Because you, like me, like everyone, is a sinner. We deserve death. But God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we don't want to die. And God raised him from the dead. And those who forsake their sin and trust in him, he adopts into his family. In the gospel, Jesus comes and opens the stinking dungeon door, unlocks the chains, and takes us to meet our heavenly father. Not a judge. He takes us to meet our heavenly father. And we go to the park and we play and we run around with all of our new siblings with a Christmas morning kind of joy. And so you have a choice to make today. Stay in the stinking dungeon or come on out to the playground and have some fun. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is coming again to vindicate his people and to judge the world. And you can escape judgment by responding to his invitation now. The one who is coming on the clouds says to you today, come to me. Will you come? If you don't, all you have to look forward to for eternity is punishment and hell. And I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for any of you. Maybe that's offensive to you. That Jesus is coming to judge. But listen, if God merely looked on our world today without any anger, without any justice, he would be unworthy of our trust, wouldn't he? If Jesus simply looked on this evil world and did nothing about it and never responded to it, then he would just be an accomplice, right? But he hasn't just looked at all the evils of this world and swept it under the rug. He's coming to judge this world. And the only way to escape eternal judgment is to flee to Jesus. Will you do that today? He'll have you, believe it or not. He'll have you. There are people in your life who want nothing to do with you because you bother them. Jesus will have you. Will you do that? If you do, he'll use his key to open the stinking dungeon that you are trapped in and he will set you free from your sins and he will adopt you into his family and he'll just keep loving you. Present tense. Why pass this up? Let Jesus set you free and love you. Present tense and forever. So come on home today, y'all.
before he comes again. But you know, John's not done talking about his Lord. We don't have time to look at this whole section. I read it earlier as part of our call to worship. So we're just going to jump down to verse 17. After John sees Jesus in all of his glory, and all of his power, look at verse 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does Jesus do when John sees him? When John sees Jesus in all of his power and glory, what does Jesus do? He laid his right hand on John's shoulder. Amazing. Jesus comes to reassure John, to comfort him. Understand this, Jesus wants to assure us of his love. He wants to assure us that we are forgiven. Yes, Jesus has all power. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is infinitely glorious. And to be in his presence is to be in this white hot presence that would consume and and obliterate every single one of us. Yes, all of that is true. But Jesus doesn't speak to John in a sadistic tone here, does he? He puts his hand on his shoulder. Jesus doesn't appear to John like with this sadistic tone, say, ha, 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 I have the keys to death in Hades. I am the living one. I am the first and last John. He doesn't do that. Jesus comes to reassure and comfort John. He puts his hand on his shoulder and says, fear not. Don't be afraid, John. It's spoken with tenderness to reassure John and to reassure us of who Jesus is at his core. Jesus speaks tenderly to John to remind him that he is all-powerful and that John doesn't need to be afraid of death or afraid of the coronavirus or afraid of anything for that matter. Jesus is reassuring John that he's not going to give him what he deserves. Instead, he's reassuring John that he's going to give him resurrection, eternal life. Jesus doesn't appear to John and say, I'm going to give you what you deserve, buddy boy. No, he comes and puts his hand on his shoulder to reassure him he's going to give John resurrection. He's not going to give him what he deserves. He's going to give him eternal life. And Jesus wants to reassure you today. What are you facing today, Christian? Where are you locked up in a stinking dungeon? Is it a stinking dungeon of fear? What stinking dungeon have you woke up in? Are you afraid? Is it despair, worry, lust, bitterness, gossip, anger, pride, self-exaltation, lying, coveting? You fill in the blank. Whatever stinking dungeon you are in today, take the key of the gospel and open the door and walk out, good Christian Because you're free. You're not a slave to sin or condemnation or fear or shame or death. You're not in the jurisdiction of sin and death anymore. 
You're on the king's highway. And you're safe because you belong to Jesus now. You have a key in your bosom, so get up, pluck it out, and try the lock, and you will find the door open, and you will be free. Understand this. Jesus has the keys of death and Hades, and he made you a set. Get that. He wanted me to tell you that today. Jesus wanted me to remind you today on Easter that you were no longer a slave. That's how much he loves you. He sort of kind of said to me, if you will, Benji, go tell them they're free. Tell them I gave them their own set of keys. Tell them they don't have to stay in the stinking dungeon anymore. Tell them to take a gospel promise and turn the lock. I mean, listen, the gospel comes with the stinking dungeon key. That's the hope of Easter. You get your own set of keys when you come to Jesus. It's the key ring of promises. You just find a promise in the Bible. Find a promise in God's word for whatever stinking dungeon you may find yourself in this moment. And you stick that promise key into the lock and you turn it and boom, you're free. There are hundreds of promise keys on the gospel key ring. Find one for whatever your need is today. Christian, do you feel ashamed? Can't seem to shake something in your past, guess what? Your shame no longer defines you. Your past no longer defines you. What defines you now, Christian, are these words in verse 5. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That defines you. You are clean now, Christian, and you are forgiven. Revelation 1.5 is your gospel key. Use it today. If you feel tempted to hide from God today because the shame is so overwhelming and if the devil is telling you, you've really gone too far this time, Jesus says to you, fear not. Come unto me. Return to me for I am merciful. I'm tenderhearted. I'm kind. I'm gracious. I'm gentle. There is zero condemnation for you today. Zero. You started your Christian life right there at zero condemnation. It's where you will always be, and it's where you will be for eternity. Zero condemnation. You don't grow into that state. You can't earn your way there. You can't work hard and end up there, and maybe in a few years you'll be there as if somehow you'll be a better Christian somewhere down the road. You won't be. Right now, There is zero condemnation for you. Not because you were some great Christian, but because you have a great Savior. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus was raised for your justification. We were buried with him in his death in baptism, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Listen, if you believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is alive, that he defeated death, and that he walked out of that grave, then you need to believe wholeheartedly that you stand blameless in God's sight, forgiven and clean. Why? Because Paul tells us in Romans 4.25 that he was delivered up for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. Jesus was raised from the dead to declare you righteous, to declare you forgiven, to declare you clean. And so Jesus says to you on Easter, I can't remember your sins. 
Maybe you're trapped in the chains of lust and coveting today. Maybe you're trapped in a stinking dungeon of bitterness and you are being slowly poisoned by bitterness and anger that's just eating away. Look to Jesus. Leave that stinking dungeon behind. Are you worried? Do you have fears that are literally making your heart beat too fast? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of the coronavirus? Has anxiety gripped your heart to where it's hard to breathe? Listen to Jesus today. He says to you right now, fear not. Take those two words and put them on a post-it note on your fridge. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Those two words can get you through a whole lot. You can go through a whole lot of scary things in this life with those two words in your back pocket and in your heart. Be like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. He said, what a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in doubting castle. Take the gospel key ring that Jesus made for you. Take a promise, pluck it out of your bosom, out of your heart, stick it in the lock and just turn and be free. Don't forget the gospel comes with a dungeon key. Use it for whatever your heart needs today. Leave the stinking dungeon behind and walk in liberty and newness of life on the king's highway. Easter is a great day to start all over again. And you can do that today. You can just start over with God today. Just say, you know what, Jesus? I want a fresh start. I don't even want to, everything behind me is just a mess. I just, I want a fresh start again today, Jesus. Easter is a great day to just start all over again. And you can today. What are you waiting for? Jesus is waiting. He's ready to help, ready to help you just start over today. A new beginning today. What are you waiting for? Just come on home, y'all. Come on home and be free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your power, for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you for living the life that we could never, ever live because we are sinners. And thank you for dying the death that we don't want to die. Thank you for walking out of that tomb in power and in glory. And thank you for giving us a key ring with gospel promises on it that we can use every single day. We just humble ourselves before you this morning and we worship you and we give you glory because you are so good and so kind and so gracious and so merciful to people like us. In your name we pray, amen.